Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right. Yeah, so What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 78 of the Podcast. Keep going. Keep going, yeah. You're, you're our host, okay, Greg Keo. Do the full roll, then. Go ahead. All right. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 78 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Greg Keo. I'm your guest host for this week. I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by your usual hosts out in Whitby, Ontario, Aaron Vay. Hello there. And also here in Toronto, Ontario, it's Tim Mitra. How's it going? Nice. Oh, that was nice. That was nice. That was good. That was for the people in their cars. <clears throat> folks. Mm. Sorry. Folks in their cars. Folks. Folks. I was telling, uh, Mr. I was telling Greg uh, on Slack last night that at, uh, I was mixing the podcast, and, and Jaime did actually make a point of saying for the folks driving in their cars last episode, but I don't think we really caught it. You missed it. <laughs> yes, uh, Jaime sends his regrets, and Mark will maybe be joining us in a minute. Eventually. Yep. Longest minute ever. Well, I was at the end of this coder meetup yesterday, and I got you at least one new subscriber. Oh, good. Um, I forgot what I was saying. I said something about podcasts, and he said, "Oh, what do you know? What do you listen to?" Oh, someone you know, like uh, anyway. I was like, "Oh, I've got the podcast to catch up with on my on my commute back home." And uh-huh. He's like, "Oh, what do you listen to?" And then he was using Overcast, so I browsed the list, and I said, "Oh, more than just so anyway." He subscribed, so cool. Got to make this an impressive episode because he might be listening. So far, so good. <laughs> yep, good you know stuff. I mean? About the weather, let's talk about the weather. Mm, so cold. Oh my god, the cold. Jesus. And the snow. It snowed today. It's going to snow, even... I think, for the next week. So we're actually going to get how about Bruno Mars? Does he, like, does he, like, book off Super Bowl Sunday off his schedule in case they call him? Is. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Bruno Mars. I mean, that, Did you that look at this forecast for Saturday? Feels like minus 28. Stop that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's what my wife said. You want to go, I don't have to go outside on Saturday. Minus... 28. You know what that was in Fahrenheit? Because I need to practice. Minus 18, which doesn't sound as bad. But Celsius minus... Unbelievable. Minus 18? Uh, Fahrenheit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and a bunch of snow, which is nice, because we haven't really had snow, have we? I was fine with that. Yeah, so, well, I don't shovel snow anymore, so I don't really care either way, but 
Yeah, um, I do, and it's I nice. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice to look you at. You get to pay those condo fees. So, how long have you lived in the condo? Six years, I think. Five years. Hmm. Six years. I Where think. Where were you before that? Uh, I lived out in High Park. Oh, hmm. Interesting. Yep. Okay, so uh, Greg, what are we talking about? I think we got a little bit of follow up, Tim. All right. What are we following? F- up you, on? Tim. F- what do you no, have to from, tell this us? Is from you, actually. Uh, I was going to go down to yours about the app stores and the economy. Oh, you know, I probably should look at that. Um, why don't we do yours first, and I'll just quickly breathe through this one. Uh, sure. Last week, or maybe the week before, or maybe the episode before the episode before that, there was some talk about Parse shutting okay. down. Track. It was last uh, week. Who the, who the heck knows? And uh, there was much gnashing of teeth about the news, and people were saying, oh, we're doomed, and then the usual articles about you should never rely on third parties, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's true. That is all true. Yes, yes, that's why I'm repeating it. Okay. And the, but of course, the parse server is going to be open sourced at least, and so you can always folks can always go and run it on their own servers, and it's going to be an open source product. And maybe minor conflict of interest. I do know some of the parse people, and I know they're very committed to the product. Some of them are very sad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Some of them are very um, out of work. Is that right? I believe they will just be moved around, but oh, I have no good. knowledge about that. Um, right. But I think that um, sort of the core product, you know, Parse Server being open sourced, and there's so much interest in it because I think a lot of people really did like, I mean, the service was nice, but I think a lot of people really did like the Parse API. So to be able to run that on your own servers, and of course, a whole bunch of companies are now going to be starting up and offering Parse as a service or whatnot. But again, to avoid running into the same problem, I would say you should run it yourself on your own server and it's going to be a thriving open source project i think coming up and so there's this post by uh fosco morado who's the the developer developer advocate at parse and he just had this post about sort of what's going on with the open source stuff and um what's coming up and they're still going to be working on it so anyone who is likes parse and uses it you know there's the migration tool and you can host it yourself and it should be a pretty good transition as transitions go i think this is like the most exciting part about Parse dying, I think, that we ended up with this server, right? Exactly. Um, what I thought was interesting about the, the article and what I got out of it was that, that um, the the rolling out of this open source version of Parse and the shutting down of Parse weren't one the same thing. Like, like according to what this guy says in the uh, in his article, that he was actually all set to, to release the open source version of Parse and, and wasn't aware that they were going to shut it down on the same day. And yeah, so he kind of pushed all the buttons to make it happen, make it go live and then, and then found out the news. Right. So mm-hmm. just to say that it's not coincidental that they're happening at the same time. It just, it, or sorry, I guess that is coincidental. It is know. apparently coincidental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't, so it wasn't say. sort of, they, I mean, like they weren't part of the same plan as it were. Right. Yes. I don't think the people working on the open source we're saying we have to do this because it's going to be shutting down is right. the understanding yeah. that I got from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, and yet right. someone over their heads must have known that it was coming and thought that it was a, a good way to soften the blow on what they considered at the time an inevitable decision to shut down the whole service. Hmm. Yeah. But um, I, I, I kind of wonder, though, is like companies like Facebook, I mean, Facebook must be quite big by now in terms of in terms of executives top down to the bottom decisions. Right. And and sometimes, you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, you know. But, you know, this server announcement was part of their their notice that the service is shutting down. Oh, yeah. Was it? OK. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, like they they say, yeah, you've got a year, and you know we've got two tools to help you out. One is the migrator to get you from parse to a, a an instance of MongoDB, and another is parse server. And parse server, not coincidentally, it works with MongoDB as its backend data source. So, you know, like uh, somebody over Fosco Morado's head knew about this and planned accordingly. That's my theory. That's my read of this. Mm. So. But it's still, it's great. I mean, and I think what Greg is saying is absolutely true. You know, this could this could lead to a thriving, you know, um, tool set for mobile developers, you know, who are already familiar with the Parse API. And, you know, although I've never studied it myself, having never believed in using a service like this for reasons that we've discussed, now it seems worthwhile to take a look at. And everyone seems to like it. Those that use it. Mm-hmm. Those that use it love it. And everyone else just stayed the hell away because they were smart. Parse 2 for the win. Um, we're all over that. Let's, let's see that happen. I, I want to try it out, actually. I've got a little toy project that I'm working on right now, and um, I'm actually considering using this. Even ah, though I'm how's not... your no, then how's your express, Aaron? Terrible. You need to Non-existent. <laughs> yeah, but this is going to make me try and figure it out. What the hell? I've got a server. I'll give it a shot. Hmm? Why not? I mean, why not? Got That's the, the spirit. There. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> So that's what I'm So gonna Tim, say. app stores as an economy. economy. What do you have to economy. say for yourself? Yeah, that app was store. a <laughs> sort of. This was another follow-up article, and uh, it was uh, brought up a couple of weeks ago. We just never were talking about it, but um, and I'm actually not even sure when it was published. But um, it's a, a, a piece by a developer talking about how um, the app store. We kind of sort of all thought the app store would sort of be the new food truck, if you will, of of uh, a way to make money. And talking, he talks in the article about how you know in it uses restaurants as an analogy and you know the 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 lore is that 90% of restaurants fail you know why should it be any different for apps it says here and uh, but he says more like 60% is fails and he has um he goes through just the TLDR on this is that he has 10 so or eight eight points that he goes through looking at how um Apple could, you know, turn app economy around a bit but uh and and he goes through the points of of why they kind of sort of won't you know like the fact that we don't, we've talked about this a thousand times, you know, no, no free trials, no paid upgrades, that kind of stuff, right? So, um, but it's, it's a good read if you're interested in, in the, um, what we're all trying to do to make a living, as it were, right? Ah, I had this, um, we did talk a little bit about this article back in the last episode. Okay. Um, yeah, I just went back down and saw the same URL in our show notes for episode 76. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do remember mentioning this um, in the same uh, breath. As we were talking about the Panic 2015 report, right? Um, do you remember that? And so um, let's just let's just bump those up since that episode's never going to air anyway. Sure. <coughs> so <coughs> I'm sorry. Now I'm actually that, coughing. That's, that's the, the, the that's the Whitby knife in your back, folks. That's right. That's it. Check it out. Look in the back, and it's like oh, just Toronto. No, so never mind. Um, so yeah, sort of from the same. Um, uh, way of thinking, because um, I was reading this article as you were talking to him and thinking, awfully familiar. I think I've read this before and talked about it before. <laughs> so anyway, so I'll paste this link into the notes here again, Tim, so it's further up. And this is from uh, Cable Sasser, ruler of panic, the well-regarded Apple software developer. Uh, it's their year-end report where they cover all the things that they've been working on, but um, there's a section in here called Challenges, and he kind of, kind of discusses the same issue and it was uh i think it was partially at least in response to this that 
uh, David Bernard wrote his his piece. So the thing that Cable's talking about is how it's, he's having a really hard time charging for software, um, especially of course on iOS where they're they're doing fine on the Mac. It's on iOS that they're doing great apps, but they are having a hard time making any money doing it. And so they're talking about raising the prices of their apps uh, this year. Hopefully that uh, in such a way that people would actually give them more money, uh, especially because they have more to, sort of niche apps. Um, and I, I read that like two weeks ago when this came out, and we talked about it on the show before. I'll repeat it now. That's insane. Of course you should raise your prices, especially if you're someone like Panic, right? Um, they make niche software. Like their stuff is not used by everyone, so that you shouldn't be giving it away for free. You're charging 99 cents. Should be charging more money for it. So this um, practice of saying, "Well, it's on iOS, so we should charge less," uh, has really got to go. And uh, I see Panic is thinking about it at least. Uh, I hope they really do it. Um, let me give you another example of this, actually. Uh, and this is new content now from our uh, aside from our lost episode. <laughs> so uh, recently Ow, we my back. okay, <laughs> we just saw the release of uh, Day One version 2.0. Uh, do you know that one? <laughs> Day one? Okay. Yep, it's a certainly. journal application. Yep. Very well regarded, and it's available on the Mac and iOS. And uh, it's, it's a great app for uh, writing diary entries you yeah, know, for yourself. Funny. And mm-hmm. uh, it has a lot of great features. It works very well. And uh, it also has a syncing service that uh, uses so like you can write on your Mac and you'll have the same stuff on your, on your iPad and iPhone. So they came out with a new version this week, and um, they charged for the release. Like it's not, it wasn't a free update to any existing user. You had to repurchase it. It's, as as you know, when you're in the Mac or iOS app store, it's the only way to make money on a new version of software is to create a new application. The old one became Day One Classic, I believe. On the iOS store, they released a new version of it. Both oh, Mac so- and iOS. Cool. It's a simultaneous release. Hmm. Yeah, and so. Here's the thing, though. Um, the the thing is on sale. It's an, on an introductory launch sale. I don't have the pricing at hand with me right now. Nine ninety nine on iOS. This is U.S. dollars, of course, and yeah. thirty nine ninety nine on the Mac. Right, and um, those oh, are it's fifty percent off for the first week. Correct. But li- listen, repeat that, Greg. What was the Mac price? Forty dollars, thirty nine ninety nine. And the iOS price? Nine ninety nine. This is exactly my point. And this is the same software. It's, just, it's basically the same software. There's nothing different about them on each platform. They're the same, you know? Why is one 25% the cost of the other one? Why? There's no reason for that. And so you could argue maybe, I guess, that um, maybe day one or something like day one is, is much more generally applicable to users. There are more people that could buy day one than they would buy transmit. Uh, Panic's FTP software, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe they, they do feel justified in charging a lower price because they'll make it up in volume. But I think my point still stands. Like, someone who's willing to spend $40 on the Mac would should, I would think, be willing to spend it on iOS as well. Um, and I think developers need to get into that mind space again in, if, they never, if they ever were. <laughs> because um, this is just it's no way to make this platform sustainable. Again, we've talked about this many times. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the whole race to the bottom thing. And, and you're right, though. I, I think we've, and I've made this point many times before about the Omni Group, have, you know, their tools for iOS have never been bargain basement priced, right? So No, they've been the, the highest priced apps in the store. 
Yeah. So, and it, and I mean, and the price is comparable, maybe a little bit less, but it's comparable to what you get on the uh, on the Mac version. I think I think the difference is that, and you know, maybe some of the justification is that you you have more tools and features available to you running on OS 10 than you do on on iOS. But but I think that's iOS is catching up in terms of where people are spending their time, right? Yeah. Indeed. I mean, day one is absolutely. I would say feature parity between the two. Would you agree, Aaron? Between iOS well, and Mac? I'm using them, and I, I can't tell I much have not found. Yeah, neither. I have both as well, and I've, I cannot tell if the Mac can do something maybe with sharing, probably, because it has a bigger sharing infrastructure, but even mm-hmm. that's a pretty slim, yeah. it's a slim thing. It's, I, I think it's fair to say that they, they put as much work into the Mac as they did into the iOS version. Yes. You know? Um, so why I would even why say more trick? for the iOS because you got to uh, it's a universal app from what I know which yes, means that you've got to test for you know it's effectively yeah. two almost two apps in one right you got to make it sure it works on the iPhone and then also the iPad maybe even the iPad Pro so I would say it may even be more work to do the iOS version yeah maybe maybe huh. it's clearly a universal app in the sense that uh, they, they use size classes and you know that sort of thing yeah like it's one code base but you got you got to test it and make sure it works properly and all those devices right. yeah Right. Um, but yeah, excellent app. And um, I don't know. It just it just blows my mind that they sort of they almost give it away on iOS, where they'll have many more users than they but, will on the Mac. But are they giving it away like man at ten dollars, if you will? Um, are they really giving it away compared to what other apps cost? You know, people people think, still think a ninety nine cent app is where the App Store should be. I disagree wholeheartedly, but still. People still yeah. think it's it's you know three four bucks for an app. I mean, it's, well, see that's the thing though. Like we're we're not talking about a, people here. Yeah. We're talking about sustainability for businesses that want to sell their apps on the store. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it it almost doesn't matter what they think. <laughs> um, the fact of the matter is, if if they want to continue seeing apps, then they need to be able to uh, developers need to be able to charge more than they have been. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I mentioned before in in my business experience in in desktop publishing and i think you probably were around then too darren um you know we used to have services called film houses which would basically take your uh files that you produced on your mac your layout files and and you take them to these places to have them turned into film so you could put them on printing plates and so on and so forth right and or you could have them laser print and then go make what was called camera ready artwork back in the day and there was a, you know, initially when image setters were expensive, they were $80,000 pieces of equipment. And so if a business wanted to get involved in that kind of stuff, they, they really couldn't, and, you know, they had to have staff and, you know, heat and hydro and, and, and max clearly for, for that kind of stuff. They couldn't charge a really low price or they couldn't stay in business, right? They had to charge something. And then there was this whole move of once people started or other businesses realized that there was money to be made in this market, they started buying image setters and they started, you know, putting together little shops downtown and they drove the price down to a dollar a page, right? And the, the, the whole desktop publishing market almost collapsed, right? And But out of that came proper film houses where you, if you really were serious about the work, you took it to the guys who could do the best work and you paid them what they asked you, right? And I think that's kind of sort of where the, the pendulum has to swing away from the 99 cent app back up to the $10 app, you know, or even more. So That is true. That is true. I think, I think because, you know, and, and, and I saw a game come on the market a couple of weeks ago, and I think James Thompson tweeted about it. I think I mentioned it on the show before. And 
he the the author was charging or the author yeah we are authors right <laughs> he was uh he wanted to you know three or four dollars for this app and i thought that's great you know why don't give it away like <laughs> we have to stop this right See, and I would tell you, three to four dollars is giving it away. Well, yeah, but, but my point was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, you know, it, you know, I, you know. I'm still. It's funny. I, I still see apps that Apple features on their feature page. Oh, here's the app of the week, and you go and oh, it's free, and you go and look and you read the description about it, and sure enough, it's got in-app purchases, and you know they're they're ridiculous. <laughs> so I can't remember if there was an app, but maybe it's this week's app. They wanted. Um, <laughs> They wanted uh, you guys with your icons, man. <laughs> they wanted uh, um, you know almost six dollars, seven dollars for a, a, a more improved version of it, or, or twenty dollars for a pro version. And yet, this was an app that Apple was featuring as a free app, right? right. Free to play. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I'm happy that Apple and I think Starbucks used to do that before, where they would help promote apps by by you know buying a certain number of them and making them free i would guess right um but yeah gotta stop it gotta stop the bleeding it's interesting that 9.99 seems to be the ceiling that these companies are although not panic if they're going to change their minds a little bit but that seems to be like oh we're a premium app in quotes here 10 bucks um, you know 99 cents what's uh, an order of magnitude bigger let's go with 10 dollars 9.99 yeah. so it seems yeah. like that's the next price point yeah which is crazy um, up yeah because I, you know, I remember when when you know Mac Shareware costing nine bucks. Yeah. You know, for a really good piece of Mac Shareware, nine bucks. I was like, hot damn, that's a deal. <laughs> Snatch that up. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, and you know, we've had inflation since those days. You know that that ten dollars from you know fifteen years ago. Yeah. Uh, is worth a lot less now. <laughs> well, and so it's kind of weird. True. Same thing's true with ebooks. If I see an ebook on, a deal on an ebook, you know, and they don't go anything less than ten dollars per se, right? Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure there probably are free book, free ones and whatever. But the the kind of books I'm looking for are, you know, they're usually texts. That, you know, want thirty or forty dollars for them as a book, and they'll put like you know a press or places like that will put one on special for ten dollars, and I'll snap it up, or somebody will write a book on auto layout and they'll have a week special and you jump over there and you buy it right so yeah because right. it's a good price right so exactly craziness and yet I, that's the ceiling in ios i think i've talked about this before but in 2010 i saw a closing keynote at a conference that i went to in seattle by andy anako and he talked about his advice to it was a couple of things one is is how to get um uh, uh, reviewers to look at your apps and write reviews about them and he said send us the apps and we'll look at them right like we're not there's no secret club here right um and you know but make sure that if you send us a promo code that the promo code actually works and that kind of stuff but so he gives some advice on on pricing this is going back to 2010 and he sort of said a 99 cent app and this is the journalist kind of opinions they didn't see 99 cent apps as as serious, you weren't a serious developer if you were only going to charge ninety nine cents for your app. So, like, charge a dollar ninety nine, or be serious about it. To him, he felt the apps that had the most value were the ones between two ninety nine and four ninety nine, right? And then anything, you know, if it was a serious app, it better be. And if it was a good app, you know, like like Omni quality or Photoshop quality, then it should be ten dollars or end up, you know. Um, and that was in two thousand ten, you know, and, and that still kind of holds true in a certain sense, you know. Notwithstanding your point about the fact that the nine dollar app, when the thirty nine dollar Mac app uh, is are comparable, right, in features and usability, it's bullshit, is what it is. <laughs> Sorry, you're gonna have to bleep that out, but uh, it is, you know. And that's, you know, that's the mind game that developers played with themselves as yeah. a group, you know, as a collective. 
Uh, We all got together and crapped our pants and charged as little as we could, hoping to make it up on volume. And that's a a fool's game. And it's cost a lot of people their livelihoods. So we're not going to have a mark tonight. Uh, Mark is in provisioning hell with a client. That is uh, most unfortunate. It's uh, provisioning claims another victim. It's actually been a lot better lately, but, you know, clearly not for Mark. And Skype just claimed Greg Keo. <laughs> don't have him anymore. Really? Oh. He's gone. He's gone. He's just gone. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, Greg. I hope he comes back. Make your plans now to come to Nashville, Tennessee, and attend the best tech conference being held this year. Indie DevStock isn't just about learning the latest Apple frameworks or how to program in Swift. Indie DevStock is about making connections. Our speakers will share their stories, experiences, and ideas with you. Through their words, you'll gain a better understanding of the challenges indies face, and more importantly, how to overcome them. It doesn't matter if you're currently a successful indie developer, just starting out or trying to decide if going indie is right for you, we're all in this together. Too true. In addition to the inspiration talks, you'll also have the opportunity to attend hands-on tech talks to help you level up your skills. During this two-day event, not only will you get to experience Southern hospitality at its finest, but also get to hear some of the best live music around while enjoying all Nashville has to offer. For more information or to buy your ticket, go to www.indiedevstock.com. We hope to see you there. Y'all. Did I do the y'all? Can I put y'all? She said y'all. She did. Um, and and uh, I think one of our guest hosts is going to be speaking there. Which one of, which one so. of the three of us here is that? Sure hope well, so. It depends, Certainly it not one of us, Tim. On his future, right? Yeah. Well, you, you never know. Oh, no. He's booked in. You're doing this regardless of what happens in SoCal, right? <laughs> Come on. Yes. Okay. I, I'm trying to swing in attendance as well, but we'll see. Mm. I'd like to go to Nashville. There's no reason why not to. Why not? Why not? I would go. Mm-hmm. Hells yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk to you about this post that you put here because in my experience as a desktop publisher, I once wrote a blog post called Font is a Four-Letter Word. Well, that's, that's really catchy, Tim. Well, because it was the bane of our existence in a lot of cases. But So you've, you've put a post here about a, a font called Operator? Yeah. Operator. This was announced this week by uh, Heffler-Jones. Oh, sorry, not Heffler-Jones. They had a falling out. It's just Heffler and Company. And uh, this typeface is a monospace type that was invented for uh, console use mm-hmm. and code use. Um, but it is uh, it has quite a bit of character to it. So the story is that <clears throat> um, they wanted to come up with a, a, a technically monospace type that has italics uh, or a scripty sort of character to it, mm-hmm. uh, as well as forms that have um, sort of really... <laughs> it's hard. I can't describe typefaces. I... <laughs> just not like that but uh uh you know what it reminds me of uh because there was a time when i uh, used to work in the newspapers and i cared about typefaces very ba- uh very much mm-hmm. uh there was a typeface called liddy liddy black mm-hmm. that we used uh in certain circumstances and uh there's a certain liddiness to this operator and uh for a mono space font uh it has a ton of character to it yeah it's very it's so, a nice looking font for sure yeah, and um, it has a lot of... I see what you did there, Aaron. A ton of character. Thank you. <laughs> um, I was just w- waiting for someone to jump in. And so, <laughs> Anyway, uh, it looks super sharp. I mean, it looks really sharp. Unfortunately, it's $178. So um, it's not something I'm looking to add to my repertoire at this point in time. 
Uh, but Justin Williams makes more money than I do, apparently, and mm. he was uh, quite pleased to spend the money to get that and drop it into Xcode. And he uh, spoke a little bit about that in uh, the piece that I've attached here in the show notes. Um, and there's also a link there to the operator uh, product page, if you will. Uh, if you dig in a bit, you'll find that there's a video about the making of the font as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and that's interesting viewing. So, in, so back in my making flags days and all that kind of stuff, I had to study fonts quite a bit and and um, how how characters are drawn. And I don't know if you know, do you know the story of of Stone? Is a, a typeface called Stone? I do not. It was it was one of the first. Um, fonts designed for digital digital publishing because you know previously before before that we've always had times new roman and times times in sort of newspapery kind of stuff and it's meant to be a, a font that's small because it has serifs it's easier to read and then for larger fonts like street signs and stuff like that they tend to go to universe or helvetica right and that's and those those are the then there go back to the type foundries back in the you know late renaissance you know kind of stuff but so stone was the first sort of 20th century font to kind of sort of be designed by design designer specifically for desktop publishing right um i, I mean it never it never was wood type or metal type those are people who know font that's that's how fonts used to be actually typefaces used to actually be made they were actually blocks of type or blocks of wood um so it's kind of interesting to see a font that's now specifically made for reading on screens you know especially if, i guess even for coders specifically right you know, some. I mean, we've seen some fonts come into the fore, like uh, Verdana is one that you see a lot in a lot of websites and stuff like that. For, and I think, but I think it does have a history of of coming from print. But yeah, so that font is just the worst. But you know, it's and, very Microsoft. Oh God, it feels Microsoft. Kind of stuff, but but it's what I'm saying. It's really interesting to see this kind of font that had. It, it's very pleasing to look at. And monotype fonts are always sort of you know, they're the default fonts that you know, kind of courier and. Melno and things like that that kind of Menlo. Menlo. Um yeah, the thi- like the thing to understand about monospace fonts as as a class of typeface is that every every type uh every character in the font mm-hmm. is the same width, yeah. right? Yep. Um and that's so that they fit on um a fixed width uh console, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Sort of like a terminal screen. So um they're kind of important in that regard and especially for coders um who often rely on fixed width fonts mm-hmm. um, in order to uh, to more readily read their code so it's much more legible when it's a monospace font um, and that's why they're so important like for for your average desktop user I mean every uh, other typeface you know um, uh, display fonts and and text fonts uh, whether whether made for um, just digital display or, or mm-hmm. for newsprint uh, they're varying widths right so like yeah. a, yep. a lowercase I, uh, is much narrower than a than an M, right? Yep. Um, you know, so they they look reasonable when squished together. That's the kerning in a in a type. Yep. Um, so, um, you know, so it's it's actually kind of a challenge to make a monospace font that actually looks decent. Um, so I was going to say, monospace fonts come from the old typewriter days, where where the hammers were all the same width, right? What uh, What's your type uh, monospace font of choice today, Tim? Uh, I don't really have one because you know because it's funny that it's funny that uh, when I see other coders working with you know with a lot of people like I like the terminal in black and with uh, with green or a yellow font myself. Um, 
but I I couldn't tell you what font that is. I really haven't paid attention to that much. And a lot of developers I know like to work on a, on a, with the with the midnight theme where it's black, you know, kind of thing, right? Yeah, a lot of people like the black. I like that for the con- uh, terminal, but uh, in Xcode yeah. I'm in default white. Um, yeah, me too. And if you are if you haven't changed it, I believe it's Menlo in OS X. Yeah. Um, it's mm-hmm. the default monospace. Uh, it used to be Courier. Yep. Um, but nowadays, um, I'm using Inconsolata, which mm. I, I definitely prefer to Menlo. How about you, Greg? There is a variant. Have you seen that, Aaron? Inconsolata DZ, I think. DZ? And it's DZ. Some guy, DZ <laughs> and some, I think, uh, person with the initials DZ has fixed the quotation marks. So they're straight quotes. They go straight down instead of those funny slanted ones that they have in default Inconsolata. Have you seen that? I am looking at it now. Do the quote marks bother you? No. No. Okay. And in fact, I, I like the uh, sort of smart quotes. All right. I did not like them, so oh. I was like, oh, I'm going to go with this variant. So Interesting. I, um, that, is that the only difference? I use that for a while. I believe that's the only difference, yes. Huh. Yes. Yeah, I'm looking at the... I image. have started using the font called Hack by... I've, I've forgotten who now. Yeah, Hack. Uh, anyway, I use that in Xcode just because I want to try it out. But in Terminal, I use from Adobe, there's a font called Source Code Pro. Hmm. Yeah. And I use the light variant of that in my Terminal. So that's what I've got right now. So clearly, there's very many fonts that are meant. Oh, for there this are. Purpose. Yeah, uh, there's a fellow named Dan Benjamin. He's a well nowadays he's a very prolific podcaster with his own network. Uh, but back in the day, he was a web developer and yeah. uh, a frequent blogger uh, um, of his own. And he did frequent surveys of monos- monospace fonts for coding and uh, sort of gave his picks on the top ones. Hmm. Uh, that's where I learned about Inconsolata uh, back in the day, and uh, which is sort of a I don't know if it's free or did it come with another package. I never. The provenance of typefaces on my system is something of a mystery to me. Um, I think it might have come from uh, Microsoft uh, Office or something. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure on that one, where Inconsolata came from. Uh, but it's based on Consolus. Um, but again, not not remembering very well. Hmm. I'm going to check out this uh, hack typeface though that looks interesting yeah some uh, i think i started using it i'm like oh this doesn't quite look right but i think it's just because i wasn't used to it and now i've been using an xcode for i don't know how long and i haven't uh haven't changed you know, it haven't torn gouged my eyes out or anything like that that's so, how you know like if you don't gouge your eyes that's out then know. it must be good <laughs> that's how you know i think it has a very subtle um not a slash across the number zero but it has like a little dot in there and i nice. um, yeah i dig that i like that yeah i see that yeah. that's cool um yeah. i'm gonna so anyway, true type that's, that that's my xcode font Cool. You're a madman, Greg Keo. Madman. I try. I try. Okay. Operator. Um, Tim, are you now going to tell us about $20 billion in services from Apple? Well, I thought it was interesting. There was a couple of posts, actually, that this came out of. And, yeah, this is this is going back to the, the quarterly report. I think Mark might have brought it up uh, last time we talked about it, two, three episodes ago. But uh, this was a bit of follow-up that I put on there about... Um, a post that somebody had had sort of looked at things like iCloud storage. Um, I believe it was things like iTunes sales, movie sales, and things like that. Like you know, all the billions of dollars that Apple made, they made twenty billion dollars alone just in services. You know, As you do, you know, with their ten dollar a month music Apple Music subscription, you know, kind of stuff, right? So, so clearly the way of, uh, despite my bemoaning it for the last couple of months. Clear the way of subscriptions for services seems to be winning the day. You know, if the biggest company in the world can make tons of money on it, many others will follow. 
you think subscription services are the way to go? See, I think if I'm if I'm um, looking at Apple, the big takeaway for me um, is less the twenty billion in services and and more the hundreds of billions in <laughs> hardware revenues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it's true. It's true. And, and there was another there was another post here that the, in, in looking at the numbers that um, I think Apple in the last quarter made more money than Android has made in its lifetime. Yeah, I saw that. You know. Believable, utterly believable. I mean, because what does you know? How does Google make money off of Android? Right? Um, it's ad revenue, right. isn't it? Right. Um, so that's it's not as compelling as as selling a eight hundred dollar widget. Right. Right. You know, and making what four hundred dollars off of it? <laughs> it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So you believe it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. Okay. That's all I had to say about that. Well, there's there's not much to say. Apple makes money by the container ship load. By falling um, out of bed. Basically. So um, Greg's got something here about Moore's Law that I didn't see earlier. You just put it in there. He's sneaky. I, know, he's it's right. I put it in Shifty. before the show. I put it in before the show. Ars Technica announces Moore's Law is really, really is dead this time. Really? I read, th- I read this. Got a, they got a picture of the graph. And 50 years later, Gordon Moore did, uh, made a very smart prediction. And uh, there it is. We've reached the end. Maybe a little bit more in the, uh, you know, shrink, shrink, shrink kind of thing that we've been doing for a long time. But um, they're saying that's clear that, yeah, we're going to have to move to something else. Carbon nanotubes? Who knows? All around? Three. Tri-gate wasn't enough. Let's go one more. One more end or something like that. More gates. But there's something. There's something coming up because, you know. We need him. So I'm confused because this chart ends in 1975. Is that the end of time? (laughs) <laughs> well, time only began in 1970, oh, of course, true, January 1st. True, yeah, yeah. That is correct. Uh, UTC. But, um, yeah, no, this is like the classic graph that they drew from a long time ago. So this uh, is the idea is of from? building on silicon chips is, is like this is we reach the end of our ability to cram more transistors in there? Pretty much. Economically. Between leakage, leakage and, you know, <laughs> quantum entanglements, we pretty much, I think, uh, they've gone as small as they think they're going to get within the next, I don't know, five years maybe. Hmm. And then that's like, all right, what's next? What's next out there? Um, so it's exciting times. But for us, if there's a bit of a gap and a bit of a slowdown between quantum computers coming to our pockets, then um, I'm thinking from the software side, because that's where I think most of us are. It's like what the, the continued emphasis on multi-core and doing things in parallel and taking things off the main thread, which actually means something. Well, it meant something a long time ago, too, but... Um, you know, you can have other threads now, and you can do stuff on them. So you really should do it. And what is UIKit two going to look like? Is it going to be sort of um, concur- a little more concurrency friendly with that kind of mm-hmm. thing? I think that's the kind of thing that we have to look look forward to on the software side. Kind of like look at battery technology and how slow battery technology moves. And it's like, all right, we're going to have to be power efficient for the foreseeable future. So looking at what's coming ahead in hardware, I think can give us a nice lens on what, should, what we should be thinking about in terms of software. So I think that's going to continue to go on. And this whole trend of functional programming and, you know, again, parallelism and concurrency and whatnot is um, something that we should all be looking into if we haven't already. Yeah, and this is an old story, actually. Like, um, even, like No, this story actually is new, but um, uh, that's it's it's been like this in the CPU world for a while, years now, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, we looked at the gigahertz, gigahertz race, as it were. Um, that really petered out at two, right? Two gigahertz when it yeah. hit that, and it just um, you know stopped going up. <laughs> um, actually, look at my uh, my brand new Mac, twelve inch MacBook here, 
as a 1.2 gigahertz Intel Core M processor. Gigahertz doesn't mean everything, but uh, it's, a, it's a pretty handy measure. Um, CPUs have not gotten that much faster in the last several years, and uh, they're not going to get much faster. Like I think this is an admission, as much as anything, that uh, we got to stop looking at uh, Intel to give us dramatically faster chips. On the other hand, um, you know, look at ARM, right? Which, uh, with Apple in particular, has been driving to greater and greater levels of performance, right? Because there's there's been that, all this headroom, right? But they're doing it with an architecture that's dramatically more efficient than Intel's architecture. Again, Dr. Rubin's not here, but it's just <laughs> I'm, I'm repeating things that we tend to know about, about processors, okay? So... Um, it seems to me that with Intel slowing down on the desktop side, um, Apple's going to continue to accelerate the growth of the capabilities of the ARM architectures with the A9, A10s, A11s, whatever is coming next. Um, and that we might actually have CPUs made by Apple that are comparable in speed to what Intel can do, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's something that you can see looking forward to, I think. Yeah, I think it's a matter of who's going to come up with the next kind of leap. Like when we went from... Everybody having vacuum tubes, everybody having transistors. It was like, oh, here we go. You know, this is going to take us down a long road. So when is that going to happen? Is it going to happen soon? Is it going to be something that's kind of consumer-ready early on? But I think there's going to be a, a bit of a pause coming up, for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But, you know, like, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that it's going to lead us to look in different directions than, than just raw speed, right? Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, like you said, Greg, we can take, you know, uh, you know, 64 of these things and put them in a box. And, and now you've got a computer that's 64 times faster if you've got the right software for it, um, <laughs> ideally. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but instead, where we have to focus is, um, is in the architecture and looking at what is happening in mobile where there is still headroom, still places to grow. Um, and, and that's where the interesting thing is, uh, stuff is happening anyway, right? So... Mm -hmm. You know, are we going to see ARM-powered Macs again? Here we are. Um, yeah, on the same token, we've got an operating system, iOS, that was made for this ARM architecture and that is doing more with less, right? That's what it's all about. It's about, um, an, about software that is not as demanding um, on the hardware as, as the Mac OS or Windows OS is on its hardware, right? So... There's a lot more headroom to go, you know, and even though uh, the absolute speed limit of, you know, nanometers uh, for CPUs has, has, uh, has, has been hit, uh, we can still get faster um, with more efficient software. And we're seeing that in iOS, in the mobile space. So, Tim, how, what about a little bit of iPad Pro follow-up? How much has it replaced your yeah. desktop OS well, X experience? I, I think you, you missed the show last week, but, um, or you, know, you listened to the show, but um, my point still is it's, it's, I've actually gone back to the only computer I take with me to, to work every day for personal, work, personal use is my iPad mm -hmm. Pro. So, and, and, you know, so I have my iPhone 6 Plus for, you know, things like messages and you know texting and stuff like that and phone calls like clearly but yeah no my ipad pro is the is the computer of choice my my mac my macbook air 13 sits here at home waiting for me hmm okay yeah, so. okay tim did you see that um, piece by sean Blanc? yes no um he did a piece on his site reviewing the apple pencil and the keyboard oh yeah yeah oh the um, the, the, uh, the the keyboard cover you mean yes i just wanted to mention tim because greg had asked about your ipad pro 
um, if you'd seen this article by Sean Blanc. And, um, oh, it was not written by Sean Blanc. Never mind. It was written by Josh Ginter on Sean Blanc's website, toolsandtoys.net. Um, it's just, just a review of the keyboard and pencil for the app, iPad Pro. And um, the, the keyboard review is fine. Um, you know, I didn't really care too much about that because it's, it's just a keyboard at the end of the day. I really enjoyed the part about the pencil, which is you've got to scroll halfway down to get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, it really laid out uh, the use cases for the pencil and how beneficial it is for someone who's not an artist. This is huge, right? right because yeah. mm-hmm. um, most of us aren't artists. You know, you accept it, Tim. Yeah. And so uh, when I think about how interesting the pencil is, um, you know, something like this is very interesting to me. And there's this, there's this uh, photograph, um, you know, partway through the article. And um, I'm going to drag it out here, and I'm going to put it in if I can. Can I do this? Is this one of the powers that uh, Google Docs gives me? To drag can, and drop images? Drag and drop an image into that. Yeah. Hells yeah. You see that image? No, I thought that was the one you were going to put in. <laughs> that is an amazing image. Hang on one moment. I love this image because what it is, just to describe if you're in your car, yeah. sorry, Jaime, is um, there's an iPad Pro sitting on this beautiful, like, light wood desktop. You know, everything's perfect. And um, it's in uh, split view mode. And on the left, there is a PDF. And on the right, there's this notepad, right? Mm-hmm. And the person is is using her pencil to, to write notes alongside the PDF, right? Right, right. And it's, it's like a piece of paper, yep. you know? Yep. Like, I kid you not, it's like a piece of paper on the desk. Yep. And you can, you can write with abandon. Abandon, so, so I, I don't know if you noticed at the Apple Tech Talk, I had my iPad Pro, and I was actually taking notes in cursive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'd, Fully yeah, aware I'd, of this. All right. Are you so? Are you using it like this? Yes. Tim Mitra. Yes, I am. Is that? Does it blow your mind at all? Or it you does. Just like, oh, totally. Nah, yeah. Like I'm I, Tim Mitra. No. I don't give a crap. You know. Look how cool. I, look. Don't. 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 Just stop talking and check me out. <laughs> See these eyes? I'm staring at you. That's cool. I actually want to know what app she's okay. using because it's got some interesting tools across the top there that I had not seen before. Unless, unless that's that. Oh, that might be uh, notes. It could be notes, isn't it? It's got a little highlighting feature there too. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, to this day, I still carry a paper book, and, and I write with a pen. And Why paper. would you now? Well, exactly. That's a good question, right? Mm. So, yeah. I tell you, like, you know, looking the, at that, um, I would love to have that on just my iPad mini, you know? Like, why isn't Apple doing that? Well, well I'm yeah, I'm in line for another iPad mini this year I for this be. year's update. So I'm hoping there's going to be, you know, pencil support and... Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, I've got the older one, so I don't have multitasking, so I'll get to use multitasking. But uh, Crap, no, man, I more tell pencil, you. pencil, and more devices. Exactly. I'm all for it. Yeah, I think Greg, you know, I just bought a new iPad Mini Four, brand new. It's like yeah. weeks old. I swear to God, I would sell it, sell it, and get an iPad Mini Five if uh, with <laughs> pencil support. Uh, I'd, I'd be like dropping this piece of crap. It's done. Well, like, yeah, you guys are like I was with Touch ID. I wanted to get Touch ID so bad, right? Really? Touch ID is nice. Yeah, I, I miss it sometimes, like for logging into one password on the iPad, or yeah, I think nice. I have it on Evernote on the phone, I think has Touch ID. And um, to get into your notes and on the iPad, it's like, oh, I got to put in my four digit code or whatever. Like some is. kind so, of animal. Like an animal. So, yep. yeah, I miss that on the iPad. But I don't know. It's only those two or three apps, so I don't really notice it too much. But yeah, that would be nice to have. But I haven't even, I've completely forgot about it. The whole pencil and multitasking thing are just, I think, up there. And Touch ID is kind of a little bit down By the list. way, I'd like to register a complaint. With who? 
with anybody. Okay. The Notes app on the iPad Pro doesn't support multitasking. This is a real-time update. How is that possible? That's not possible. iPad, no, Notes supports. No, it doesn't. Yeah, that was like one of the ones that they demoed, I think. Nothing's happening. It's not shrinking down. And then I've got, oh, sorry. Yeah, take that back. Yeah. Sorry, but Apple. Actually, I think the app that, she, that she's using there is Bamboo, which I have a copy of. And, it, and at Bamboo, I, I, I've actually been testing writing on all the other apps. So I was going to do a blog post or something about it at some point. But Bamboo, far and away, is the best handwriting app with the Apple Pencil. Ah, good to know. Bamboo Notebook. Yeah, and looking at these tools, I think that's the, the app she's using there. Maybe. Good. All right. I think it's time to button it up. What do you think? you got to make shorter shows, is what I told uh, Tim. <laughs> and I, I tell said, you, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. I mean, not necessarily right. for this show, but uh, for all the podcasts I listen to, mm-hmm. they are getting longer, and it's pissing yeah. me off. Yeah. Yeah, drives me nuts. So, let's go around the table, as we usually do, and see if anybody has any picks, and let's stop at Aaron. Aaron, do you have a pick? I mean, you're serious about your host role there, Greg. That's fantastic. <laughs> I do have a pick, Greg. Um, Let's hear it. Let's um, hear it. So this week I uh, was the lucky recipient of a book by Wayne Bishop, author of Algorithms and Data Structures in Swift. And this is a a book available in print and uh, electronic form. Uh, Basically what it is is a tour of various uh, algorithms and data structures but composed in Swift. There is some explanation, some commentary around these uh, various data structures and algorithms. Not a ton, um, but it gives you the code and and sort of explains a bit how they're put together and, and why they make sense. Um, and it's, uh, you know, for someone who's not a computer science person, such as myself... Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a very interesting little book and it's, it's, it is little, like it's not, it's not huge. It's like, um, in my, uh, iBooks as I have it in, it's 94 pages. So it's not a big book. Oh, you have um, the electronic version of it. I have the electronic version. Yes. Okay. Um, and again, you can buy it in print if you wish, and I guess it would be a fairly slim volume. So, um, uh, it's available at the site, uh, Wayne, say Wayne W Bishop.com tough to read that one there uh slash swift and you can actually read the whole book online it looks like it's in html yeah it initially started out as a blog post when i was trying right. to search on um, big o notation back yeah. in back in the summer i stumbled across this thing and before it was a book actually he was i think he's still working on it i think yeah i don't know i i think he's done working on it um, yeah no it's been up for he's been he's been pitching it for a while yeah 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 and so um there's also a git repository so that uh, you can look at the code samples. And uh, let me see here. Yeah, and you can buy the book. Let me see here. I'm just trying to get the pricing for you. Uh, it's it's $19 US for the electronic version. Mm-hmm. And the printed book is $29.95, $30 US. But today, I don't know if this is going to actually matter, because there's actually a 30% off code that says today only mm-hmm. across the top. So mm-hmm. never mind. <laughs> there is maybe small spoiler or something, but there is pretty much always a sale going on. Fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say the same so thing. I think I get an email from him on a regular basis, too, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've never had yeah. an email from him. But uh, he uh, posted on Twitter that uh, the next five people would get this book for free, and I cool. that was one of them. Hooray for me. Wow. So got wow. the book, and, uh, yeah, I've just been browsing it the last few days. It's cool. Check it out. Interesting. Awesome. Uh, Tim, do you have a I pick? I don't really have a pick, but I have a follow-up to Aaron's uh, topic there. I stumbled across this the other day when I was looking at some other stuff, and it's 
how to use how to explain various sorting algorithms to a six-year-old and the analogy that he uses is a deck of cards and he shows how to expl- how to you know go through a deck of cards and how to sort the cards in the deck using various sorting algorithms so it's kind of a hands-on mm-hmm. way of, of getting your head wrapped around these various things I can almost picture there's a Reddit thread. Oh, someone's got a video. If you scroll down, not the first answer, but like the fourth yeah. answer, there's some videos which are very oh, good. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I can almost imagine that there's that Reddit, subreddit, um, explain like I'm five. I can imagine there's someone has asked this question and there are many, many poor answers if you looked on Reddit, but uh, this looks pretty good. Well, this is th- this video looks like um, from, I think we talked about it a while ago, there was a, a group of, oh, yes, I've seen this one before, but there's a, a group of educators in New Zealand, I think, who did a set of videos. I think Matthias put us onto it. Um, and it's using, like, they've got kid, like eight kids standing there with, with a black and white card in their hand, and they're representing binary numbers, and they each flip the number, flip their card to show how numbers progress up in binary or how characters mm. are represented and stuff like that. It's pretty fun if you're, and they, you know, they line up the kids, they give them a, a bunch of numbers, and they line them up, and they step forward, you know, two of them step forward and compare their numbers, and depending on which one's higher or lower, they switch positions left and right, and then they move forward, and it's kind of like how search, sort, sorts work in an algorithm, you know, to compare two numbers as you go through. I don't know what that one's called, but it's a sort. Mm. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So these are kind of cool things. Okay. I was hoping to have like five picks to outdo Jaime from last episode um, and just come up with pick after pick after pick, <laughs> but I do not have that. But I have a pick. I'll go ahead with it. It's an app called Hirondo. I don't know how to pronounce it. The subtitle is Comfortably Follow Swift Discussions. This so if you're is on crazy. If you're on any of the Swift mailing lists, Swift Evolution, the core libraries discussion and whatnot, and you are getting the emails, you're probably using some kind of filter rule to put them into a folder and follow the threads. If you get the digest like I do, that's even worse because you get the digest at seemingly random times during the day and you just have to find message number seven and scroll down and whatever. Mm -hmm. So that is not that great. So there is this app that I think scrapes the website that hosts the mailing list archives. And you download this app, and you pick which list you want, and it shows you... It's almost like it's like a mail client or a newsreader client, if anybody out there... Folks out there are as old as we are and know what that is. But imagine like a mail client that is just for the mailing list, and you don't have to actually answer any email or you know receive email. So it just reads the things, does all the threading for you. You can browse by person, browse by topic, browse by thread, and whatever. So if you want to browse through the mailing list, or you want to go back and find something that you saw mentioned then this is the app to do it. It's in beta, and it is free. It so is astonishing, it really, for mm-hmm. something so niche, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, like, it's almost like a single-serving website, in a way. Yeah. Um, but it is so... It's lovely and full-featured. I, I just... I can't get my mind around why the developer, Benedict Terhecht, did this. <laughs> you know? Just blows my mind. Um, yeah, I'm sure it was just like, I want to browse these mailing lists, and I don't want to click through the horrible Piper Mail yeah, archive, really and couldn't. I don't want to use my own mail client, yeah. so let's just do it here. Let's just so. do this. The app is still in beta. It has crashed on me a couple of times, sometimes when I scroll, but, um, you know, sometimes you want to browse through? This is, the, this is the way to do it. And it turns out the name Herondo is Latin for Swift. <laughs> so, it's, it's not for nothing. Is it the bird or quick? As in quick. Oh. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Don't you know your Latin? And I right? studied Latin. I, I thought I knew my I'm Latin, but I had never heard that before. Mamma, 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 mamma
Wait, um, I was going to do the uh, a Greek the farmer uh, declension, but let's skip that. A what? Uh, you know, Agricola, 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 um, uh, whatever it is. Isn't that the word everyone uses? No, it was farmer? never the word because I used. Because it, it is a masculine word, farmer, but it's in the first declension, ends in the, ends in the A, you know? So it's kind of an oddball. All right, enough Latin. Forget about it. So Swift and Latin, here under, I had no idea. Yeah. Anyway, that's my pick. Check it out this if you want to. Um, like Canadians run a podcast. Read through the mailing lists. You had any good poutine lately? I had some tonight. I just went to Smokes. I went to Smokes yeah, the other day. Yeah, I that's good. I don't like smoke. You've never been there. You don't like it. No, it's a little too uh, too out there for me. Too heavy. I feel a little ill mm. after having that. Their poutine. Well, as you should after all good poutine. But uh, uh, no. it was on the way home. I was like super hungry, and I was like, oh, I could go for some poutine. So you so and I both I had poutine with our dinner tonight. That's, uh, no, it was yes. That was yesterday. I think it was yesterday. All right, yeah, not I today. Had some poutine. Not today. Okay. Interesting. It was very good. So I, you know, I, I think I mentioned on the show that I've always sort of been looking for the good poutine and I never really found a really good one and I was out uh, with a friend of mine we were checking out some electronic stores over on college and there was a place called looking for it some kind of hot dog something yeah, or other Frank's Gourmet Dogs I think it was someone Frank's and it's Gourmet, gourmet Hot Dogs right I, I got like a Coney Island hot dog with chili on it which was really good it was like chili and I want to say it had it sweet, and, sweet and sour kind of thing right um, mustard and chili or something like that and onions, maybe. But I also got a side, which turned out to be giant, of bacon and egg poutine. Hello! Yeah, and it was like, a, you know, fried egg, two fried eggs, maybe, and then a whole bunch of chopped bacon on top of the best poutine I've ever had. You know, so... Oh so it's like poutine breakfast. You say this is on college? Yeah, college... Yeah, I'm just looking for the name. It's called Frank's... I'll put it in the show notes for sure. <laughs> For all the Toronto listeners. Yeah, for those driving in cars. Um, hmm. Yeah, for the Toronto oh, listeners. For some reason, that sounds You know, cool. if you're, if you're going to come to Ennis North, there's another reason. Oh. You should go over to <laughs> Frank's on College and have bacon and egg poutine. You have no excuse now. Right? All right. That sounds good. Did, was, Tim, did you have another pick than this one? Is that? No, no, I had no pick. I was, okay. was going to be like Mark and be like, oh, I, don't, I don't have a pick. <laughs> yeah, and I was gonna, like I said, I was gonna be high man and have five picks, but alas, can't always get what we want. No, nope. you cannot. Nope. So, Tim, if people want to find you out there on the interwebs, where would they look? They can find me at, on Twitter. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. T i m m i t r a, and they can also look me up on my website. Although I'm not there that often these days, www.it-guy.com, and that's it. Sounds good, Aaron. Where would people find you on the internet? Go to Twitter at Aaron Bay. I'm going to be Mark. You guys who want to get in touch with me, you should email me. I'm Greg at GregHeo.com. You're a madman, Greg Heo. <laughs> I am going to email you. <laughs> Good. I, that's what I need. More email. I don't need more at mentions. I don't need more DMs. I want to email. So yeah, old we'll school, see it. Old school. Actually, write him a letter. Write him a cursive letter. I'm going to, I'm going to mail it to you <laughs> through Canada Post. <laughs> see, here you go. This is the last 42 cent stamp that I'm going to use on your ass. Oh, man, I've been using permanent. <laughs> We're not going to be in this country for much longer. Yeah, exactly. I've been using permanent stamps for the last, you know, 15 years. Who knows? I have permanent. I still have a stash of one cent stamps, though, just in yeah. case I need to add one, but yep. I still have them because I don't use them anymore. All right. <laughs> and that's it. Episode 78 in the can. And oh, not me, but these two gentlemen will see you next week. Bye. Bye. So, bye. You've just experienced the More Than Just Code podcast. 
you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. And scene. Thanks, thanks. Like an animal. I actually waved when I said goodbye there. That's kind of did you? Oh. Do you say that? <laughs> I, did. I, I do that sometimes. I when I say the, by so the people so the on the phone, is, I do off, that. Did you wave by, by wiggling your wrist or did you get the whole arm into there? The whole arm. I was like back and forth. Right. Not like the queen, baby. I was like, you know, full on wave like Pee Wee Wow. Cool. Wow. All right. I'm I usually do that when I'm talking on the phone. Probably yeah, so uh, I guess we should wait for Mark to uh, arrive before we discuss your... Your visit with the Dr. Rubin. It was a very good visit. He, um, we talked about all of Aaron's favorite topics, the weather, mm. hockey, San Jose Sharks, the Patriots, the Super Bowl. You're um, killing me. Yeah, he would have. <laughs> Aaron would have loved it. <laughs> wow. So what's Mark like in person? <laughs> He's very, very talkative. Very really? talkative. Shut she up. would not have think. I'm serious. He was like super talkative. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. We must catch him at a bad time of day. That's that's all I can think of. It's like you know, six o'clock, and uh, he's like, "I've just worked a full day. I should probably still be working, and I can't believe I'm here." Well, I mean, sometimes when you guys get him going, he's like, you know, yeah. Go. But he's like, yeah, I guess we went for lunch, so it was during the it was it was like noon, you know. But yeah. no, still- he is uh, very friendly and yes, very talkative. Well, and, and and sort of like I said, that's he was sort of the inspiration for starting up this podcast. Neither one of us, neither he or I, were into podcasts at all before when we started. But um, and he still isn't, right? But yeah, you know, in all the times I ever did any sort of work with him, you know, like I said, I would work for a, you know a couple of minutes, and then it would be like hours of conversation, right? Wow, I I got to tell you, that's a surprise to me. <laughs> He's very very knowledgeable about the code too, which he doesn't. Oh, that I'm certain. Yeah. Oh, he showed off uh, two or three of his apps that he was working on, like the previous one and the couple that he was working on. Cool. So, um, yeah, we also talked about core data and, I don't know, view controller transitions and, you know, there was there was code. It wasn't just more than just the code. We talked about the code, too. So, it's nice. <laughs> he didn't make me code on the whiteboard, so that was a refreshing change. Well, that's good. That's good. Okay. Well, what do you want to do? You want me to read it or do you want to... Yeah, we, we love it when you read. You like doing the ad reads, don't you? I, I love ad reads. Well, there you go. Okay. That's the subtitle of the podcast, Aaron Reads Things. Dramatic <laughs> Reading by Aaron Reed. That was a good title last week. Classic. All right, I'm going to do this. He's then. the only one with a Peanuts, a Peanuts character of himself so far. Where, did you do that? Yeah. With your Apple Pencil? Yes, I did. Uh, on my at work? Pro. No, no, I was at home. You can cut this, you can cut this part at out. Home, at I work? I was at yeah. home. I can prove it. I've got a right. date stamp. Of course. Of course. All right. You can, you can fix date stamps. I did it on I Saturday morning while, I was, while I'm listening to the, doing the, mix, the final mix of the podcast. I listened to it one more time before I published. I was actually drawing that uh, 
It's based on Charles Schultz's drawing, but I took your took the head I did for you for the uh, this do- do- Doctor Is In episode, you know. So, ah. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.